Beg your pardon, sir. What are they? It's a sword, Jefferson. Take a look. Call it a screamer. It was developed for us by Alliance on Earth to neutralize the war on the ground here. How do you know it's dead? Because they yanked this brain out. CPU is dead, but it still has mechanical surface reflex. That, that's good. They get their heads chopped off, but they can still swing a sword. Pretty smart. That may be too smart. This one seems to have modified itself. Welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. Soy Jaime. <laughs> <laughs> now you got to do it in a different language. The precedent has been set. <laughs> ich bin Colin. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. I got nothing. Uh, wait, uh, Watashi wa Seth. There we go. So. Um, and uh, I guess we're grasping at straws for... <laughs> for ways to make for, this entertainment. entertainment value, yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm keeping all that. Um, yeah. And we are continuing our summer of just focusing on adaptations of Philip K. Dick stories. And uh, it's been a mixed bag because we had like two entertaining but pretty bad movies in Paycheck and Next. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then we had a good movie in Adjustment Bureau. And now we're to Screamers and uh, we'll see where that one falls. Right. But, uh, yeah, like I said, we're talking about Screamers, 1999 film starring Peter Weller. 1995. Did I say 1895? You said 99. You said 99. I did? Seriously? You want yeah. a party. I do not believe you guys. I'm going to have to listen <laughs> listen back to that. <laughs> Apparently. Right. We, I can fix that. We've been post. sampling wine. We have no credibility. Apparently. <laughs> yep, uh, Seth's drunk. No, I'm going to fix it so that I said 1995 and you guys are both wrong. <laughs> uh Yeah. Uh, based on the short story, Second Variety, from 1953. 53. Yes. Uh, James is all over it today. He had the recording yeah. set up, all ready to go when we got here. He has all the dates kind and places. So we're forgetting the 20 minutes of tweaking it took to get it actually working? <laughs> well, well, there was some fine-tuning, of course. <laughs> it was set up. I didn't say how well it was. Right. Up. Yeah, the, the first he, variety he did not was mention not the quality. set up. This is the second variety of the setup. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Appropriate. Who wants to tackle the story? Not meaning the short story, but the common thread between story and adaptation. Well, interestingly enough, it's a highly canonical adaptation. True. I mean, dialogue, events lifted right out of the book, legally, mm-hmm. and put into the movie. <laughs> uh, it somewhat leaves me yeah, questioning well, various well, things, but uh, let, me, let me try and lift the common thread. Okay. The common thread is that there's a war, and one side, our side, has developed uh, machines uh, sentient weapons which go and destroy the other side right and something goes amiss and thus our story begins yeah they begin to evolve in some way until it's hard to tell who what's human and what's machine that's right yeah so second variety the story you had some experience with it before right Colin? yeah when we got the uh collection of philip k dick short stories i read it cover to cover nice. and so i'd read it oh, before nice. i also had read it before from the library and i think I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and check if I actually read through the entire book once once well, I bought it. Right. But James, I have was, not read it before. This was your first time. Okay. What about movie? Any of us seen the movie nope. before? No. Nope. Okay. So, mostly fresh on this one. Uh, it was <laughs> a new experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what do we think about the story? I enjoyed the story. Uh, I think it, it's pretty applicable to today's time, even though it was written 60 years ago, 62 years ago. Yeah, you can draw a straight right. line between the claws and drones. Yeah. Right? Well, and right. sentient weapons. That's been something that people have been debating for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, that it, was a good story. Very, very, uh, like, almost Terminator prequel-ish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely some similarities I saw between this and Terminator and this mm-hmm. and The Thing. 
Um, and we'll get back to some of that um, as we talk about it. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Colossus, this idea of sentient AI machines going out of control. Our worst, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then lots of Daniel H. Wilson in there. Oh yeah, Robo Apocalypse. Big time. <laughs> yeah, um, the uh, claws are are kind of like stumpers in Robo Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So right, if that adaptation ever comes out, we're all over it. Yeah, so. that'd be awesome. Yeah. Now this one is set during the Cold War. You know, it's U.S. versus the Soviet Union fighting the somewhere. UN. The UN actually. Oh, UN. Right. Yeah. There. So it's all of us against the Soviet Union. Right. Right. Because of course. Soviet Union, of course, would never fall. No. Right. In 1953, you know, it's easy to see that, right? Well, let, let's – all spoilers here. Just anybody yeah, – sure. this this story is available free to read from Gutenberg, I believe. I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. Uh, regardless of if it's Gutenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can go and read it. It This is a longer one than some of the other ones we've read. Um, maybe 60 pages, something like that. Yeah, so hour, hour and a half of reading. Yeah. Still can be done in one sitting yeah. if you're disciplined. Um. But yeah, don't be spoiled unnecessarily because on these shorter ones, I like to kind of go through what the plot of the the story is because okay, it sure. starts with a Russian soldier coming to the American base. Right, right. They don't fire at him because they're just waiting for their claws to get him, mm-hmm. which, which is their autonomous. Don't want to waste the bullets. Exactly. Yeah, and it comes up, uh, climbs him, and opens up his throat, which is pretty grim. And yeah, I actually remember it being. More graphic than it is in the book. It's really not. It's just my in my imagination it was. <laughs> um, but then they begin to cut him into pieces and drag him away. And the folks in the bunker notice right. he was carrying something. And they go out and retrieve it. And find out it's basically a request for the Americans to send somebody over to them because there's something important to talk about. Right. So it's a matter of, is that is it a trap? Don't necessarily want to walk through all of it, I suppose. So maybe the highlights. The highlights are that uh, on the way there... He finds a young boy. Right. With a teddy bear. Yeah, with a teddy bear. And uh, he says he's been out there all alone. They have a little talk. They get to the Russian base and the Russians shoot the kid. Right. And they shoot the kid because it turns out he is a claw. Right. And that's because the claws or the machines, the factories that make them uh, have been producing more and more advanced claws with an effort to try and destroy both sides. Right. And they've been very successful. Right. And that's what the Russians wanted to tell them about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is the point where the, what's his name? Hendrix mm-hmm. examines it and finds out that it's tagged like variety three or something, um, or the third variety. Right. And right. talking to the Russians, they find out that there is another one called the wounded soldier that's variety four. Right. Um, and so they're, that's where the name comes from, right? Well, mm-hmm. what about the second variety? What's it look like? Right. And so, so he, uh, is it at the Russian base that they, they meet the, the girl who is yes. uh, servicing the men? That's yeah. right. The, so the only reason these two Russians at the base survived was because they were out at Tasso's house. Right. It was their turn. Right. Uh, and after they were done, <laughs> uh, they <laughs> learned that their base had been overrun by a series of Davids, which were the little boys. Yeah. Because what happens is that they get in and they let in a whole bunch of others and they destroy whatever's there. Yeah. Right. Um, one other critical thing, of course, is that on the American side, the reason that the claws don't go after them is that they have this radiation tab that they keep on their wrists that, mm-hmm. that notifies the claws were good guys. Yeah. Right. And the, the claws have turned the tide of the war, right? They were losing. Right. Right. Um, and Earth is in really bad shape. Right. And so then from there, that, this is where it gets kind of into, uh, the, the thing territory for me, because 
now that they know there's another variety out there and they can imitate people, everybody's mm-hmm. a suspect. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and right. they don't go the same way that they do in in the thing where they're like, well, let's cut, cut ourselves or something. Um, they just, you know, kind of start arguing and eventually one of them blows the other one away and finds out, nope, he was human. Right. <laughs> um, so, oops. <laughs> oops. Guess he was innocent. What else happens? Well, they're at the base and the one guy kills the other guy that was actually human. Right. As I'm pretty sure the other guy figured out that he was a robot, so he just killed him. Probably. And convinced the female and Hendrix that they are Tasso, right? Yeah. Tasso, Tasso and Hendrix that... He was human. Mm-hmm. Eventually, uh, eventually they kill him though and figure out, oh crap, he was a robot. Yeah, he was one of the wounded yeah. soldiers or something. And so they're like, right. he must be the second variety, right? And, and I don't yeah. remember at what point we get the reveal that no, he was like variety five. I think it happened. So Tasso and Hendrix are escaping. Because I don't think he was a wounded soldier because he wasn't wounded. Oh right. I think he was variety five. Yes. Okay. Which is a different one. Right. Right. So they kill him. He's Variety 5. Right. Then Hendricks points out that as the commander of the base, he has access to an escape ship to go to the moon because most mm-hmm. of the UN forces, the command structure have moved to the moon in order right. to survive what's been happening at the Earth. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, during all this happening, some Davids or wounded soldiers or something had made it back to the US base, right? Right. They get back to the US base and it's wiped out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so Tasso convinces him to send her on the ship. Right, because he's because he's wounded. Yeah. So as they're escaping the American base, that's been overrun by David's and wounded soldiers. Mm-hmm. She pulls right. out a bomb that she's had on her and throws it over, and it destroys all the the mm-hmm. claws escaping the base. And Hendrix gets hurt. Mm. Doesn't describe how or what. Right. But he does, and it, it kind of I felt like it was due to radiation poisoning or something. Well, could be. And all she says was, "Well, you, I told you to duck." Right. Right. It's like I told you it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> and so they get to the they get to the escape ship, and he activates it. And he knows he's going to die, and so she escapes. Right. Right. And as he is lying there dying, watching her leave, another Tasso comes over the hillside with a bunch of Davids right. and a wounded soldier. Yeah. Right. And he remembers thinking, uh, you know, they must have, they've advanced at least as far as us because they make weapons to kill one another now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's a very, you know, message about endless war. Right. And then mm-hmm. we, we, here we're going to create machines and then the machines eventually, all that will be left of the war is the machines on essentially both sides now fighting each other. And that's, that's a pretty grim prospect. Yeah. I think it's an effective story. I'm not totally sure what, what the message is other than, you know, uh, war, what is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I thought it was worth noting that uh, Tasso was very adamant about her being the one going. Yeah. The entire time, like almost convincing Hendrix that she should go instead of him. But it, I don't know, it just kind of led me to think that she was actually probably a robot before they revealed that she was a robot. Oh, so you suspected her? Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. I I was kind of confused by the entire thing. Claws have these metal pieces. Right. And they had intimated they were intimate with her. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, ew. I yeah. mean, <laughs> data is fully functional. Yeah. That true. <laughs> Mr. Data. Yeah, well, fully yeah, functional. What do they do with all the flesh bits that they that they harvest off of the victims? That's right? what I assume they were doing with all the flesh bits. Right. True. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where you get the Terminator thing, right? Right. Yeah, outside, it's living human tissue, mm-hmm. flesh, hair, grown for the cyborgs. Did we ever see a female Terminator? I guess sure. we did. Christiana Locum. True. Oh, uh, you mean a T eight hundred series? Yeah, I think they're all Arnold's. Yeah, in the <laughs> Sarah Connor Chronicles, right? The um, Summer Glau. I'm trying to remember. Oh, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, named Cameron, by the way. Oh, Cameron. Yep. Nice. 
Yep. yep. A lot like Cylons too, even from the newer BSG. Yeah, skin jobs. Yep. Yeah, yeah. weren't they weren't they like human through and through just with like programming and stuff or were they had do they no, have metal cores so. yeah they, they didn't really have metal cores uh, but, yeah. but they could interface with computers in some way right um, so they were kind of like cyborgs i guess i think yeah so, okay, anyway. so we're talking about everything Back on about, track. about the movie um, <laughs> and there's a very good reason for that <laughs> yeah. which we're about now to disclose yeah yeah so the movie 20 million dollar budget for the movie screamers copy does not look like 20 million bucks we sat there trying to figure out what they spent the money on yeah Right. And we couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I, I'm betting Peter Weller pulled down 17 million or something for it, um, because it's not like there were a bunch of A-listers on there. No, it was made in Canada. Yes, it looks like a sci-fi original. You know, now kind of thing. there's been some pretty good sci-fi coming out of Canada. Continuum oh, sure, sure, came sure. out of Canada. Stargate came out of Canada. Really? Are you going to name a good one? SG-1. <laughs> Keep going. One. I can never get into Hold my beer, James. <laughs> Highlander. That was my favorite. But, Highlander, um, yeah. uh, Forever Night, all this great sci-fi. And then this. Maybe we just haven't seen enough Canadian sci-fi to get Well, the- but even even if you look at all that stuff, right, it's still television. Like, if you go back and watch Stargate SG-1, it's not like they really break the budget on special effects most of the time. True. Um, and they definitely did not break the bank on... Special effects for this film. No. So no. so here's the thing, right? I looked at this movie. I remember it coming out and, and thinking, ah, it's a horror movie. I don't really like horror movies, mm-hmm. right? And even now, I don't really care for horror movies. But I do like an occasional science fiction movie that has a gore aspect oh to it. Oh, my gosh. What? This box office is only $5 million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 5.7. Yeah. Worldwide, <laughs> $7 million, So Dang. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> so, so <laughs> James is doing some extracurricular reading on the side. I guess it's not extracurricular. Um, curricular, but but yeah, like like aliens or alien, right? There's there's a gory aspect to those. Uh huh. Um, and so I was looking at this and kind of excited about it. I thought, okay, this is going to be like Total Recall level gore to justify right. the R rating. No, not does not really happen. Like Multiple. like you mentioned in the film. Uh, Early on, it's largely canonical. It, it changes the setting slightly, and we can talk about that. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, the soldier comes over the hill, gets attacked by the screamers now, not claws, um, right. because they emit a sound, I guess, in order to warn people, so to give them a chance to shoot at them. To disorient um, them is the I guess, but, stated I reason. Guess. But really, unless it's coming from multiple directions, it's not going to disorient you. Um, it's really just going to tell you, fire that way. Yes. Um, so, well, everybody, we had a little bit of a recording snafu, and... Um, uh, we lost our audio. Oh, well, we didn't lose it. It's still there. It's just horrible. So uh, we are transitioning to a kind of a Skype re-record. So you might notice an increase in audio quality because we're all separate here instead of all being in the same room. Um, we could have all been in the same room. Yeah, we could have. Um, but see, the thing is, I'm not sure that this movie deserves a re-record or, or like too much trouble to go to to re-record. <laughs> so, um, and that's where we left off. We were talking about the movie. Um, I was. Uh, you should just leave a note that the quality of the recording reflects the quality of the movie and leave it as it is. Yeah, could do that. <laughs> we experienced a strong degradation in audio quality due to our radiation tabs being too close to the microphones. Right. Oh, how about this? I will drop in a little sample of what the audio would have sounded like about right here. Oh, that hurt so, my ears. Uh, yeah, that's that's what you could have had. 
so we we where we left off, we were talking about. Uh, I, we were just kind of initially talking about the film, and we were talking about. I was mentioning that um, you know sci-fi horror is one of those things that I can enjoy sometimes, and I was kind of looking forward to this movie being kind of in that genre, right? And actually being bloody and, and awesome for, you know, how gory it was. And uh, that was not something that was delivered on. No, it kind of fell flat. Yeah. And and like you mentioned earlier, Colin, it's it's quite canonical to the story. And so you have that opening scene where the guy comes up over the hill and gets attacked by the screamers. Now, not uh, claws, claws, was it? Yeah. And they attack him, and they slice his leg off. And at first I thought, oh, that looks pretty cool. But then you commented, there's no blood. There's no blood whatsoever. <laughs> and um, then they, they go on attacking him, they cut off his arm, and then presumably they, they take his head off. And you see the reaction from the folks in the bunker, as if it's this this horrific thing, and yet we don't get that. And it, it's just, to me, it's kind of lost potential, um, where it could have at least been fun for for the goriness. And they didn't go that way. And that's, I don't know, I was disappointed by that. It's quite sad. Yeah, and you know, you uh, you missed the best part of the movie that happens before the guy comes up. There's the scroll and voiceover, two of your favorite things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not a big fan. Um, well, the, the main problem with that is that the, the voiceover doesn't tell us any information that we don't get from watching the movie. Yeah. Um, or at least that we couldn't have gotten from watching the movie because later on in kind of if one, one of the better scenes of the movie for me is when Hendrickson and Ace something Anderson, was it? No, I don't remember Ace. They called him Ace cause he could shoot well, I guess Jefferson um, Jefferson. There we go. Um, when they're walking over to the other base before they find the kid, um, you know, they're walking through these awesome matte paintings and stuff. Um, and Hendrickson is giving him the history and we've already gotten it from the opening crawl to me, it's just like, I guess you didn't trust the audience to go with you far enough for you to then explain it. Um, it yeah, it made me wonder whether or not they added in the scroll and the, the audio voiceover at the beginning because, uh, you know, audience testing said that people had no idea what was going on. You think they audience tested this? <laughs> good, good point. Good point. <laughs> I I believe that before, before we cut out, James had mentioned that it's $5 million dollar uh, return on the $20 million budget. That was yeah, domestically. Points. Yeah. And it, it ended up 7 million worldwide. So it bombed with good reason. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is really before the internet. So it, it, you know, it can't be that much word of mouth. Um, so I'm curious how wide the release was because I don't remember it actually coming to any theaters. So um, overall impressions of the movie, it sounds like are negative, but um, why don't you guys can, Colin, can you come up with anything that you liked about the film? It was highly canonical. Is that a good thing? Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned the bisque. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned the bisque. And, and there's one scene that I thought was just, you know, totally in the sci-fi horror genre. And that's when one of the screamers catches the bullet in his mouth and spits it out. That was amazing. That, that was just, that was so over the top. Yep. In, in potentially good and bad ways that I, I thought it, it, uh, it was a, a point worth mentioning. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, I mean, that whole, like really, if when you look at the production values on this, this is the kind of production values you get on television science fiction movies. Um, and not even recent ones, because recent right. ones, you know, you, like Battlestar Galactica, um, you were mentioning Continuum, I think, earlier. There's lots of 
really, really high production value television, uh, science fiction television going on now. And this looks more like, you know, 1995 television movie kind of effects. Oh, by the way, right. I did go back and re-listen <laughs> since, since I, uh, I don't usually get to do this. Um, when I introduced the film earlier, I said 1999. You guys corrected me and I didn't believe you. You were right. So oh, that's right. true. Yeah. <laughs> James, anything positive on the film for you? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, um, well, no, that's not true. I got one thing. Okay. If you have trouble falling asleep, watch this movie. It's not the most exciting movie ever um, <laughs> for something called Screamers. I thought maybe you would have liked the, the good pro-smoking message, but oh, you're, you're, not re- you're not a smoker anymore. Nah, I'm not a smoker. I did think that was interesting. The You know, everybody light up your reds, and somehow that protects you from radiation. Um, right. Like, you know, ra- radiation would affect all of your cells, not just your lungs. So, <laughs> but I guess that's the way to take in the, the protection into all of your cells is through your lungs, whatever. Sponsored um, by RJ Reynolds Incorporation. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, so I did have a couple of things that I, that I liked. Um, like I said, I kind of liked the opening scene that it was basically what you get in the story. Um, though I'm not usually the person to say, I like that because it was canonical. But um, I did enjoy how that scene was done, though I, like I said, I would have liked to see it um, grimmer. That would have been good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned I liked uh, the matte paintings, which I like a good matte painting. I'm not going to lie. Like, I like watching original Trek and uh, even TNG. They used matte paintings quite a bit for um, establishing shots on home worlds. I kind of liked the screaming of the screamers. Though I'm not sure that it makes much sense, um, because it seems to me all it does is draw your fire that direction. Yeah, we're we're pretty good at detecting locations of audio, mm-hmm. especially if you're a creature burrowing under the ground with a visible trail behind you. It just helps to, <laughs> you know, point out where you're coming from. And if you're in the audience, it's just loud and annoying. In fact, I I don't even agree with what James said about it helping you falling asleep because every once in a while you get this. Going on, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. You're good. already well, uh, well asleep by then. That won't wake you up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, wake me up. So let's talk about um, <laughs> some of the differences between the film and and the story because it is a different setting. It's not on Earth that is you know covered with ash and mostly destroyed. Instead, it's on uh, what was it? Sirius Six B. Sirius Six B. Which okay, so here's another gripe right from the start. Right, Sirius is not a close star to us. I mean, it's relatively close, but at some point they send communications back to Earth and get a response. You know, like minutes later. Right. And if it's a lunar base, sure, I get that, but not if it's on Sirius. So they must have some kind of yeah, they're using their subspace frequencies. Right. That that that's got to be what it is. Um, or you know, some sort of fancy quantum computing. Right. They have the Ansible from Ender's Game. <laughs> yes. And instead of it being between the UN and the Soviets, it is between the New Economic Bloc and the what were the others called? The Alliance. Alliance. Is it the Alliance? That is the most generic, crappy yeah <laughs> <laughs> name. It's pretty pretty terrible. Yeah, and it's it's over. Essentially, the backstory, right, is that they were they found on Sirius B this unobtainium called beryllium um, that you can you can power <laughs> spheres. Not beryllium, it's beryllium, man. I know, I'm just <laughs> Get your unobtainium. Not miners, drug. miners. <laughs> right. Um, 
<laughs> you lost me. Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't it say you could power a starship from Earth to Saturn in a day using beryllium? So it's some amazing fuel. Yes. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. Um, you'd still have to have a starship that could withstand that kind of acceleration, uh, and you'd have to have people that were willing to to um, accrue a, a bit of time debt that way. Not sure how much it would be. That would be interesting to see. This is the thing. Like every interesting thought that I had about this movie was were, were tangential. Um, like, yeah, I'd like to do a back of the envelope ca- calculation, how fast you would be going in order to get to Saturn in a day, um, and what kind of relativistic effects you might get. But I'm not going to do that. The movie's not worth it. Right. No. Man, I cannot muster a lot of ardor <laughs> to, to re-record uh, about this movie. Um, I've, I've gone through... The only other thing that I kind of relatively like uh, in the movie is the ending, that it's kind of a downer ending. It makes it sort of faithful to the, the book in that something escapes to not earth but escapes off world yeah escapes off world to where the rest of the humans are now i'm not certain that the teddy bear would be all that effective at um destroying the population of earth i guess it could go and and begin manufacturing more of its kind but right it'd go invade build a bear first that's right it would land at a strip mall (laughs) (laughs) that would be amazing (laughs) teddy apocalypse (laughs) that should have been the sequel right there yeah it should rise of the bears yeah even when tasso escapes to go to the moon base because the moon base i had this impression that it was small you had the idea that yeah maybe she could go and kill everybody up there but when you send a psychotic mechanical teddy bear back to earth i'm just not that that worried right Right. it's not when you see a teddy bear walking down the hall you don't go huh um that's something you don't see every day Eh, probably no big deal (laughs) well maybe if it's galloping at you with large razors sticking out of its claws right yeah maybe right all right we're gonna start ripping this movie uh, for real in earnest here's my other problem with the film right it's it's supposed to be sci-fi horror you'd expect at least some suspense and well, we, we automatically ruin the suspense thing by knowing the story already, right? I suppose that could be true, but um, the way some of the scenes are staged is the opposite of suspenseful, because when they're mm. they're going between one base and the other, I don't remember which direction they're going. I think they're heading over to the Neb. Yeah, base. they're going from the the American base to the Soviet base. <laughs> yeah, we'll just call it that. Um, and they're all together, so they've got Becker and the guy who chews on his. Um, uh, hoodie hoodie laces, strings. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they've got uh, Tasso or whatever her name is in this. and Jessica. Yeah, and Jefferson and, and Hendrickson. And they get to some place and <laughs> they, they at some point get attacked by this very stop motion um, Harryhausen kind of um, screamer that looks like an animal of some kind. It looks like a right. possum. And it's not really very frightening. The skeleton of a possum. Yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't move very fast. It doesn't actually attack any of them. I don't know why it isn't immediately just blown away. Right. And and It's like that uh, scene in Austin Powers where he's like, stop! And the guy's coming at him on the steamroller going like two miles an hour. Right. And he's yelling stop for like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, and so then they, you know, Hendrickson is looking on the computer trying to figure out which type, you know, some some version of the screamers were and he sends them all ahead and there's this very kind of exciting driving suspenseful music going on and they're running as if they're being pursued but there's no evidence of pursuit whatsoever and 
it just to me, I right. just it just made me laugh. And then there is it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there is the whole confusion over the tabs, or I don't remember what they called them. I think they called them tabs, but they're not radiation. Yeah, they're not radiation tabs. Um, they call it a, a wrist tab in the movie because they said that the screamers look for heartbeats. They they look for living things, right? Which does okay. not explain then why they came after all the dead bodies in the crashed spaceship. But whatever. I mean, spare parts, I guess, right? Yeah. But uh, when Hendrickson gives the one to Jefferson, he says, "Put this on. It will. It matches your heartbeat and essentially goes out of phase with it in order to make it like you don't have a heartbeat." And he says it'll work for one person and one person only. So like it imprints on you or something. So then when they're when he's with the uh, the hoodie laces guy who doesn't have one and this little opossum thing is like 10 feet away from them. Uh, Jefferson puts his wrist tab in front of both of them and it works. It, it makes them not trackable. I don't know again why Jefferson didn't just shoot the thing. That's I mean, like it was, it would have been quicker to just shoot it. It was a scientific experiment. I suppose. Uh, <laughs> did you know you can also shoot, you know, like a nuclear weapon within, you know, 50 yards of yourself and be just fine. Sure, why not? Technically, it was a micro-nuclear weapon, which makes all the difference. Okay. Right. Does anybody have any idea how they spent $20 million making this movie? Because it certainly wasn't on special <laughs> effects. I mean, matte paintings, very nice. Very, very nice. I don't think they're worth $20 million all by themselves. No, I don't think so. I th- I think we discussed that earlier uh, in the previous recording. I think we figured yeah. Peter Weller must have gotten paid $17 million. Yes. Either that or, or the guy from La Femme Nikita. Yeah, I, I kind of have a hard time believing that he would demand that kind of a salary either. I did like, you know, he's got that kind of Quebec accent. And um, at some point when when he's revealed, when Becker is revealed to be a screamer, he uh-huh. says, he, he tries to say Pinocchio is not a real boy, but he says Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah, man, Pinocchio. So let's talk about some of the dialogue, uh, because that was some of our some of our biggest laughs we're trying to figure out who wrote these lines and if they were translated from another <laughs> language or something. Um, if they were translating like literal colloquial terms from, from other languages, that's the only thing I can think. Like it was written in Bulgarian and then translated literally into English. Um, it would be like uh, in German, right? Ich habe eine Vogel. I have a bird. It means I'm cuckoo, right? But uh-huh. if you say I have a bird in English, that doesn't, right. that doesn't make sense. Because... At at the beginning, uh, one of the like the base commander guy who's under um, Hendrickson, I can't remember the name. Chuck. Chuck. Yeah, he's he's trying to get somebody to do something, and he says to him, "Got a piano tied to your butt?" No, no, no. That's when that's when uh, Hendrickson is walking out with Ace, and Ace isn't coming very quickly, and he turns around. And he no, goes, no, that's that. What's that's wrong? the other one. That's the other one. That's the other one. Yeah, the other one. That's that's where he says, "Are, are you coming? Or are you breathing hard?" <laughs> <laughs> and and Emily's sitting right. there, and she's like, oh, are, are those the only options? <laughs> the only thing I could think was that was um, like a version of the English colloquialism. He's got the wind up, which means he's frightened or, or nervous, breathing hard. I think you might be trying to assign too much meaning. To I think that. I am. Yeah, I'm grasping at stress. <laughs> no, see, the thing is, I know that uh, this movie has become something of a cult movie. And and there are people who like it, and like Michael Simshauser even expressed that that he enjoyed it. Um, and I rewatched the movie. I forced myself to rewatch it, thinking, well, maybe I was just too hard on it the first time, and I was not. Um, 
<laughs> I was validly. In fact, lots of times I'll watch something on YouTube or on like VLC viewer or something. And if it's something that I'm watching out of a sense of obligation, I'll watch it at one and a half speed, maybe two. And so I was watching, I found the movie with like Romanian subtitles or something on YouTube. And on my PS4, oh, wow. there was no control for speeding it up. And I was deeply, deeply regretful. All right, well, let's fix this movie. How about that? Okay, none of us like it. What What do we do to make it better? Oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go, let's make it more canonical, right? Let's put it back on Earth <laughs> so that there's some stakes in it. Sure. Um, and that gets rid of the voiceover. It gets rid of the scroll over. Uh, everything that we need to know, we're going to pull out of context and dialogue. Uh, so that's that's going to be in addition to the first right. five or ten minutes of the movie. As people talk to one another, they're going to say, oh, well, you know, this war with the Russians has been going on forever and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. because of the, the bombs, there's radiation in the air. Everything that's exposition in the story becomes dialogue between the characters. So you're, you're, you're setting it retro future Cold War, alternate history almost. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, and that could be fun because that would, that would be a reveal that you would get uh, at some point. Right. But, you know, you couldn't just say 1998 Earth, you know, or whatever. Um, because cause I, would, I wouldn't want to set it in like 2061. I'd want to set it in the retro future past. Um, I don't think you'd need to. No. I don't even think you need to state what time frame you're in. It would just be apparent eventually throughout, through, the, through the dialogue and like setting of the movie. Yeah. Well, and that, that could feed into the uh, whole endless war idea of the story, yeah. right? Where we, this war has been going on a long time, we don't really need to know yeah. how long. It's almost irrelevant, yeah. Yeah. And it could be that they don't even know what year it is anymore. Ooh, like it's Matrix. It's going on that yeah. long. For me, I would like to see a shorter version of this, instead of a feature-length film. Because this one was, it was like 100 minutes, something like that, I think we decided. I Which it was 108. is not obnoxiously yeah. long. Uh, it's still overstated. Yeah. It's welcome, though, to me. And so I'd like to right. see like a 40-minute. They could chop it down to like 90 minutes, probably. Oh yeah, 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 easy. Um, but I'd like to see it like done. There's there's an upcoming um, anthology show called Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. Um, Ronald D. E. Moore is one of the producers. Brian Cranston, I think, is one of the producers. Um, and I've looked at the list of stories that they're adapting, and this is not one of them. Um, but maybe if they do a future season, I would love to see a shorter version of this that just drops you into it like a short story does, and expects you, you to follow. Like an episode of Twilight or something. <laughs> Twilight Zone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, episode of Twilight sounds very different. And, Twilight you know, Zone, that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, yeah, or like The Outer Limits, right? I mean, the thing was written in 1953. I'm surprised there isn't another adaptation of it, especially since it's in the public domain. Right. Well, this adaptation may have killed it. That is true. Although they, they did come up with a sequel, right? Screamers the Hunting, I think, mm-hmm. uh, starring Stephen Amell of, right. of Arrow fame before he was famous. Uh, and Lance Henderson. Okay, so what else? What else would we do to try and make the movie better? Aside from not making it suck. Yeah, oh, yeah. Aside from not making it suck, <laughs> right? Like, like the special effects. Yeah. yeah. Put put some money into the special effects. I don't know what they did in the first time, but this time do that. See, I think this one is screaming. Ha, ha, see what I did there? Uh, for practical effects, because because I think the problem with this film is that they're 1995. No, it's not 1995 state-of-the-art graphic graphics. It's like 1995 no. computer game cutscene graphics. Yeah. Um, but there's only that one CGI screen uh, scene at the very, very end when the ship leaves. All the other effects were practical effects. 
No, when at the beginning, when the screamers come shooting out of the sand and cut off the guy's leg and arm, uh, they are definitely digital, and they look horrible. Oh, I d- I disagree. You thought they were practical? I think they were all cheap and practical. See, but they, they didn't look real, and and I mean they. Maybe they're cheap and practical. I thought they were just cheap and digital. So, uh, I think we're about done. Are we about done? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Oh, oh well, let's let's rank them, Colin. What do you, what do you think? Oh, this is a tough one. It is tough. Really tough. Let me agonize. I'm going to let Colin speak for all of us. Story movie. Colin speaks yeah. for all of us. Um, Indeed. We, we are all Colin. Yeah, it, I mean, this is this is an interesting one, just because, um, like you said, Colin, right? There's lots of times where you know the obvious thing for you to pick on is, oh, it's not canonical. It's just not. It's not. It doesn't adapt enough of the story, and this one adapts a lot of it, and and still gets it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that they add, the content that they add, don't doesn't enhance anything. It just makes it longer and more drawn out. Yeah, and then and then the way they adapted the canonical parts kind of ruins them. Yeah, I I would say I think I feel like keeping the setting exactly as it is and essentially the same story you could still make a good movie and they just didn't. So because the, the acting isn't very good, um, I mean Peter Weller is Peter Weller. Um, <laughs> that reminds me, um, Entertainment Tonight went out to the set when this movie was filming and mm-hmm. uh, they were interviewing him and asked asked about his character. You know, tell me about your character, and he said, <laughs> literally, he is paid. And turns up and says his lines. That is all. <laughs> like, so this was Peter Weller needs a new boat or something. Okay, so uh, the summer of Philip K. Dick is rapidly coming to a close, and we are going to be talking about Blade Runner next time. So I'm going to be flying to Hawaii um, next week. So I'm going to read uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep while I'm on there. And then we'll probably do a quick kind of, you know, brief, what did we think of the sequel movie at some point in early October mm-hmm. as well. So our September episode will be Blade Runner. We'll have to figure out what version of the movie we're going to watch. I think I'm going to watch the final cut just because I've heard the best things about that. And I've already seen the original. Right. Uh, though I, the only thing I remember is waking up the next morning and remembering that I had watched a movie. You mean we're going to watch the final cut? <laughs> we are? Yeah, why not? Oh, you mean all together? Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. If if possible. We, li- we like a co-watch or a cow-atch, as we like to call it. Cow-atch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's a it's a classic. My, my son really likes Alien, so maybe he'll like Blade Runner. Ooh, maybe. Right. Uh, I think we're ready to sign off. We've, we've, we've given this movie more than it's due. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay, uh, we will sign off. Until next time, uh, we'll leave you with the Screamers tinged... Pavement Pounder's blessing. Uh, may the road rise up to meet you, and may your radiation tab never fail. So, everybody, light up your reds. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, thanks for doing the, the re-record, guys, and uh, sorry, folks, for the um, the churn on this one. We know it; the movie wasn't worth it, but uh, we hope you think that our episode was worth it. So, <laughs> okay, bye, everybody. Bye, bye. Are you downstairs? Yeah. Ah, okay. Is Emily making too much noise? Yes. <laughs> Emily's making too much no- You're making too much noise, Emily. Excellent. Just leave everything and do it later. Yeah, right. <laughs> J- James says he'll do the dishes later. Yeah. Seth says he'll come over and do it later. Yeah, right. Uh, that is not, that is not <laughs> accurate. I don't believe it. <laughs>